It's farmer's market season in Michigan's copper country. We hope you'll get out and support your local farmers this season. On Tuesdays, you can find open markets in Houghton and South Range. Wednesdays, you can shop in Launce or Chassel. Thursdays, you can find fresh food in Hancock and Copper Harbor. Friday, you can visit the market in Lake Linden. And on Saturdays, markets will be open in Calumet, Launce, and Mohawk. Visit phfgive.org food to find hours for each market. This PSA is sponsored by Portage Health Foundation. Welcome back to segment two of Copper Country Today on this Sunday morning. I'm Todd Van Dyke. Our program, of course, is brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. Learn more about them and their mission at phfgive.org. We spent the first portion of the program talking with Democratic candidates hoping to take over representation of the 109th State House District. In the segment two, we turn our attention to the Republicans. There are two of them running. The first we will talk to is Ron Gray, who is uh, on the ballot. Uh, Ron Gray, welcome to the program and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. We have spoken briefly a couple of times and you have uh, some family history in the Republican Party. That is correct. Ta- tell me a little about that. I have a grandfather. His name was George N. Higgins. Uh, he was in the Michigan legislature in the late 30s, 40s, 50s. Uh, he was also uh, in the Senate as well. And he uh, ran in the Republican primary in 1964 in the gubernatorial race against uh, George Romney. Was he a Republican? Did he run against uh, Romney, who was a Republican? Yes, as I had mentioned, he was in the Republican primary, and he soundly lost the the, (laughs) uh, primary to George Romney, who at the time was the president of American Motors, and my grandfather owned a GM uh, Pontiac dealership as well as a GMC truck dealership. So that was a rivalry on multiple levels. Indeed, it was. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about yourself. I was born in Oakland County at uh, St. Joe's Hospital in Pontiac, so I would officially be labeled a troll. Uh, My mother was born uh, in the Bell Hospital in Ishpeming in 1922, uh, and her mother raised her in that area, you know, in her younger part of her youth. And my great-grandmother had moved to the uh, Ishpeming area, I believe, around 1881. So I'm very deeply rooted in the uh, Upper Peninsula. My family also owns a family camp that's in West Branch Township of Dickinson County. It's on the West Branch of the Escanaba River. And that's been in our family, I believe, since 1929. And my grandfather built the first uh, kind of a tar paper shack, if you would, camp for deer hunting in 1931. So you do have some roots here in the uh, Upper Peninsula. Uh, You are out of the, what, Marquette area? I live in Gwynn. Okay, that's right. I grew up in Clarkston, Michigan, which is a a bedroom community for the Detroit area, and our family car dealership, as I had mentioned earlier, was in Ferndale, Michigan, at Nine Mile and Woodward. What brought you back to the U.P.? Well, I came up here as a freshman at Northern Michigan University. I came here to ski, and I uh, didn't end up skiing very much because they were ending the program. I ended up, they had just built the new arena, the Lakeview Arena. So I actually was uh, on probably the first club team that ever skated out of there for Northern Michigan. I was never on a Division One team. They hadn't, hadn't started that program as of yet, but I, I did play hockey a lot in the brand new arena at Lakeview. 
Uh, the fact that my family was coming up here hunting and coming here for summers, and I had a lot of relatives in Ishpeming and Gwynn and in Marquette and in Palmer. And uh, so we uh, came here a lot, and some of our other family had cottages on Bass Lake, uh, the Bass Lake that would be uh, closer to, to uh, Palmer than Gwynn. It's two Bass Lakes, so I'm going to be speaking of the uh, one that's got the State Forest Campground. So we spent a lot of time growing up, and of course I hunted here the entirety of my life. And when my wife and I began having children, and we have five children, um, we also came to camp and we spruced it up a little bit more and made it a little bit more livable. But it was a you know generator-run camp with gas lights and... Uh, but we came here and we spent most of our vacation times. We also skied at Marquette Mountain. It was Cliffs Ridge at the time when we first started coming. And so I've just been, this has been a homeland for me. And uh, we've been paying property on that camp, you know, ever since I've been a young man in my 20s. My mother put me in charge and allowed me full usage of that camp. So when she passed away, I took over the camp. All right. You have put on your uh campaign literature very prominently, that you are a conservative Christian candidate. You're emphasizing the Christian there. Why? Absolutely. I absolutely believe with my heart in full that I have watched the deterioration of our governmental process, and a lot of it has gotten away from family, from Christian uh, principles of, of living. And being is that I am a foundationally strong-based man. I have, I've never really joined a church. My wife and I have been involved in starting two churches, but we never really joined them. We didn't even join the churches that we started. I, I've never been a member of a Catholic or a Lutheran or a Baptist or any church. I've always been a real strong advocate of reading the Scripture, and I strongly believe that's the only manual for for mankind is uh, is the is the Bible for how we're supposed to live and how we're and the rules and the laws are are made such that that's how I raised my children. I told them I don't make the rules that God made the rules and I'm here to you know endorse the rules and enforce the rules if necessary and um, and I believe that from my reading and my understanding my total commitment 100 percent to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that uh, I. Uh, believe that he told me to go out and preach and spread his word, which I intend to fully do for the entire duration of my life. So I believe that it's very important integrity and in all the things that come from the Christian lore are involved with me in my run for a position in the, in the government of the state of Michigan. So if I am Jewish, or if I am Muslim, or if I simply adhere to no faith, Am mm -hmm. I? Do I need to fear that you are going to try to enforce your values upon me and my family? As I mentioned, I believe strongly in a separation of church and state. I believe that all individuals have an absolute positive uh, ab ability to practice their foundational belief in whatever ideology that they choose, whether it's the Jewish faith or it's uh, of either. I have a daughter-in-law that's probably 50% Jewish, and I have, I believe, a son-in-law to become that I believe is also about 50% Jewish. So I would say right away, and I love them with all my heart and all my Christian faith and belief, the greatest rule of God is love, and I practice a lot of love for a lot of people of all religions and all uh, walks of life. 
Talking with Ron Gray, he is candidate for state representative in the 109th district. He's in the Republican primary coming up on August 2nd. Of course, we're focusing on the 109th now because Barraga County is included in that district after the recent redistricting. Have you had to do a little getting to know Barraga County? Uh, I've been around Barraga County quite a bit. Yeah, I uh, have uh, I've just... I've been all over the whole UP. There's no part of it that I don't really know. My wife and I have been big snowmobiler fans, and I've hunted a lot in the area as well, bird hunted. I I always keep and maintain bird dogs. I right now have my wife and I have a Hungarian Vesela, and she's four years old. She's a fabulous grouse dog, Uh, and I've been a deer hunter. Last year I was fortunate to, uh, you know, uh, harvest uh, an animal, and uh, actually two, and uh, so I've, been in all the areas. There's no place. I've even hunted on Grand Island off of Munising. and I've been on that island hunting. I never shot a deer there. Never any deer that I wanted to shoot, so I never did. Uh, but I've, I've, there's, I don't think there's probably any county that's in the UP that I haven't hunted. <laughs> all right, so we've established that you're a hunter. Uh, just a few minutes left in our segment here. What priorities would you take with you to Lansing and other specific things that you would want to accomplish if you're elected? I am very, very concerned about Line 5. I'm very familiar with both the lines that cross at the Great Straits. I am concerned to the point that I sincerely believe that if for any reason that that line was shut down, I believe that it would cost people lives, especially for some of the elderly people, because the cost of the trucking of the fuel that would have to be replacing that piping would be so cost prohibitive that elder people that are on a very fixed limited income, some of them on Social Security making eight or $900 a month, you know, I would be very concerned about keeping that line open. And I believe that Enbridge's plan in order to uh, drill 100 feet deep into solid granite from solid, you know, earth to solid earth and put it deeply underneath the straits that we would have no issue with uh, with any leakage into our Great Lakes. And and the thing is, is uh, I believe that I like electric and I like a lot of the stuff about, uh, you know, the electric being in the cars, but it's not something that we can just flip a switch and then everybody, I can't imagine or see the 300 plus thousand people in the UP running down to dealerships buying electric cars that are cost prohibitive to them on their fixed incomes and that, and on the uh, source of incomes that they have, being that the average American has, you know, what, $500 or they have a hard time coming up with 500 I can't imagine all of a sudden just purchasing electric cars for everybody. So I believe the transition has to be a slower transition, and we can't just cut off fossil fuel, you know, with the switch. So I believe very strongly in keeping Line 5 open. As you know, I'm a, an advocate of uh, pro-life. And I'm also obviously being a hunter and I'm an outdoorsman that I'm a very strong advocate of the very First Amendment. What do you mean the, I mean, se- the Second, Second Amendment? Amendment. <laughs> Correct, Second Amendment. All right. And the First Amendment, freedom of speech as well, of course. Um, I will say this. I covered the propane side of the UP Energy Task Force hearings. The figures I heard there were that if Line 5 were closed, we'd be talking about an extra maybe 3 to $4 per month on a propane bill. Have you seen figures, uh, factual figures that dispute that? I, I would say that, no, I have not seen factual figures that would dispute that, but I've also seen 
factual figures by signs at gas stations that when uh, Donald Trump's regime was in office that our gas prices were somewhere in the 2 to $3 range, and I've seen them climb to in excess of $5. I've also seen a 82-year-old woman go over to a third-world country and maybe a few days before a $40 billion uh, aid bill to the, uh, Ukraine was passed, and I couldn't understand for the life of me why an 82-year-old woman would go to a third-world country that's at war with Russia, you know, to uh, go over there to have a little chat with the, with the leader. So I'm kind of, be, you know, so I guess what I'm saying is that whatever the projections are on paper, I don't necessarily always believe and abide by it. The price of gas went from three to five relatively quickly, and it's really I've noticed by traveling around that the highways are definitely less trafficked because people are not moving as much. So I don't necessarily have a hundred sound, full faith the fact that that would be that kind of a money. And I believe soundly that if you shut off line five, it's going to create a lot more of a problem than what any of us are able to sit here and hypothesis on. All right, Ron, I have to wrap this up real quickly, but I do want to point people, if you have a website or someplace people can go to find out more about you. Yes, you can call uh, 906-869-9990 is a number that you can reach to be directly in contact with myself or my campaign manager, Michelle Barman, uh, or you can go to rongray for 109th at gmail.com and on Facebook as well. Very good. Ron Gray, thank you for your time and best wishes, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate you calling, Tom. And we come to our final candidate on the Republican side, Melody Wagner, who is standing for the Republican nomination in the 109th District. And again, we're focusing for the uh, on the 109th District uh, for the first time this year because it now includes Barriga County. Melody Wagner has run this race before, matter of fact, uh, several times. And uh, welcome to the program, Melody. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Todd. Appreciate it. You are someone who has uh, done this race before. What... Uh, Twice no, as the twice as the candidate for the Republican Party, and once before that as a uh, a candidate within the Republican Party. Yeah, I've run on the Republican ticket now three times. I've been the nominee in 2018 and 2020. And uh, in each case uh, that you were the nominee, you lost to Sarah Cambensi. The district was uh, pretty overwhelmingly Democratic in its vote in this race. Uh, there's been a change, though, obviously. You've lost some area. You've picked up Barriga County, which is a fairly conservative area. Do you think that that changes the scope of things this time around? Yeah, I've, I've worked hard, and a lot of folks get down and get discouraged about Barriga County and parts of Dickinson now being in the 109th district. And I want to encourage them. Um, folks by far in the Marquette County area have, have wrote a D by their name when they run for an office and they're not necessarily a Democrat uh, because that's the way people have been conditioned, trained and coerced to vote from the unions per se. And I've met some really sad stories about the pressure that these folks have had. So I've worked continuously hard over the last several years and um, I got almost 20,000 votes in 2020, and that was on my own dime. And I'm pretty confident here uh, going forward with this race. And I would say from having covered Barriga County for a number of years now that it's kind of the opposite here as it has been in Marquette County. In Barriga County, you don't get far if you put a D by your name. Most people run as Republicans, whether or not they, they are. 
Yeah, and that that's a that's a difficult situation. Um, I and I have met counties where they do that, and that's sad. We're a we're an open state, so we don't have to register with a party when we vote. Although in the primaries in August, you have to declare one side of the ballot or the other, and it has been confusing over the years for folks. So let's talk about uh, you and a bit about your background. I know you have some law enforcement background that you bring to the table. Yeah, I've been a certified police officer in Florida with city police and also Port Authority police. And I'm in security work now. And I also gave up my TSA federal law enforcement job over the Hatch Act to run in 2020. Yeah, because the Hatch Act prevents certain types of political activities amongst people who are employed by the federal government. Right. It's the executive branch. It's approximately 8 million people that cannot run for offices. It makes a big difference. And uh, folks can't step out. Even the post office employees cannot step out and run for a partisan office. What made you decide to run for office the first time out? Oh, my family moved here in 2013 to take a job that was open for two years. They couldn't fill it up here in the UP. And uh, there was a real estate purchase I was involved in, and it was tragic, and it was considered a nightmare. Um, I found government not functioning at not only the local level, but not at the state level also, and bureaucracies not functioning properly, different different appointed government entities and businesses totally doing something improper, illegal, and uh, just gen- inefficient and ineffective governing in, in Michigan. And that's why we're, we're dead last in the nation, in the state, um, in our legislative branch there with our accountability, ethics, and transparency. And thus, it's number one on my platform. That is a conversation that I've had with State Senator Ed McBroom, who has advanced a number of proposals to try to apply a little bit more accountability and a little bit more transparency to state government. Are you familiar with what he has proposed, and is that the kind of thing that you would get behind? Yeah, and and it was um, living in other states and moving here from Wisconsin and having a history of uh, success in farming in Ohio and Wisconsin— and moving here and finding uh, folks being lied to and just kept in the dark with hidden records from our FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, and and LORA, Legislative Open Records Act. Yeah, I am well aware of the, the work that Senator McBroom and actually Senator Moss on the Democratic ticket, they worked together to try to bring daylight to what we call the swamp and pass these sunshine laws and reform those we already have. We're one of two states that totally keep our residents in the dark and it needs to stop well and you're correct we are ranked very low on uh, the terms laugh. of yeah, for, dead yeah, laugh. yeah well I, I see a number of different rankings and uh, i'm we not we don't seem to come in last in all of them but we're either there or pretty close to being there what yeah. specific things would you like to see happen well not only do we need honest trustworthy people uh employed in lansing as our state reps We've got to follow up. Um, if you're going with my platform, we have got to follow up not only with our ethics, transparency, and accountability at our at our state government level. I believe this will bleed into the um, the local levels as well, and and bring that clarity and that honesty that we need. Folks, folks gotta. I noticed it up here quite a bit. They they've got this um, statement. Well, that's the way we've always done it. Well. Um, but, but it might be wrong here. Have you looked into it? Have you, have you looked at other states and seen how they did it? And one thing I point out on my uh, platform is with 
I'm not against road county commissions per se, but in uh, 2012, public acts 14 and 15 were passed so that our local county commissioners could actually absorb these road county commissions. We're the only state with these road county commissions. We have a different set of commissioners. And here in Marquette County, it's really odd, too, because we have six county commissioners. And a few years back, I didn't realize it. I'm like, I thought the county administrator was the deciding vote for a tie. And they go, oh, no, we never tie. Well, you don't see that in other states. You know, they've got um, a lot less commissioners, a lot less government. We are so overtaxed and overgoverned with our government and bureaucracy that's out there. Uh, it, it's got to give. People are sick and tired of it, and we cannot stop the influx of people moving from the state over it. I noticed on some of your literature, they mentioned about the County Road Commission situation. Mm-hmm. Have you done a comparison between the counties in Michigan that have road commissions, which is most of them, and the counties that do not? Because there are a number that do not. Are those counties that do not have road commissions working significantly more effectively? Well, you know, we're considered the most corrupt state, and, and you've got to really take into account the corruption that has happened over the years within these different lobbyist groups. And there was CRAM, County Road Association of Michigan. And they, when I moved here, it's like, yeah, they're going to cram it down your throat, whatever you want. So, so that's not even number two or three on my list, but it's in there because it, it shows that example of, wait a minute, what's happening in Michigan that were laughed at by other states that were, that were, that the, what means the most we're dead last in. And, um, and how, how can we approve? And you asked, have I compared, I believe we've got eight counties that have absorbed their road county commissions and now have a modern road department. No, I've not done a study, but when I asked a few of our road county commissions here in the UP, the county commissions are broke. These road county commissions are broke and the county commissioners don't have one to do with it. And that's just a really odd statement to hear. Some counties I realize, realize are working and we have great accountable road employees within those road county commissions. Um, like I said, it's, it's something that, that I've got on there. Mental health crisis almost ranks number one with me. And I want to bring that in to the conversation. Because All right, we've, got, we've pushed, got a couple minutes left, so yep, go ahead. I have pushed the mental health crisis. I exposed that when nobody wanted to talk about it, and I am pushing that heavy. Uh, the stigma that's up here over suicide, finding out that suicides were a given, that proper investigations were not being done even within our law enforcement, that, quote, doing the family a favor, and I'm talking from personal experience, So when you continue to do something wrong and you continue to get bad results, uh, we've got a name for that. And uh, it's insanity. And you continue to add to a problem. It needs exposed. The culture of alcoholism, I call out on here, and the culture of, of drug abuse and just this stigma of mental health. And I've mentioned it before, and I'll say it again, whole body health. It's something to look at. We shouldn't have to go to the doctor and they don't deal with the mental health. Everything needs to be looked at. Your health in whole needs to be looked at by doctors, and we need to include mental, mental health in our doctoring. And uh, we, we, could, we could work together and include our uh, medical, 
our schools, law enforcement and churches and and bring coping skills and hope to people and, and create more healthy living. And yet real quickly, um, uh-huh. it, it was the Republican Party that pretty much dismantled the state's mental health system back in the 90s. You know, I, I have not researched that and did not live here then. Yeah, that not, was that was that, the John that, Engler. That's something, that's something for me to actually look into. I don't. That's the first time I've even heard that statement. To yeah, me. yeah, that was uh, that was budget yeah. cutbacks under John Engler yeah. Um, yeah. and, and uh, under the guise of mainstreaming people with mental illnesses into society, uh, a huge cutback in the state's mental health services. So there is some some history there as to what brought us to the point that we are. And you're right, uh, at least I I think so, that there needs to be a a renewed focus on that here in the state. And i got to get to the end of this, unfortunately. But I do want, before we close out, to give you an opportunity, if folks would like to know more about you, do you have a web presence or someplace that they can go to learn more about you and see your views? Yeah, Melody Wagner for state representative. MelodyWagnerForState.com. My phone number, 906-236-5741. You'll find my email also on Facebook, also on the webpage. Also, um, I didn't get to mention the consumer protection. I know you're wrapping it up, and that could be a number one also. I'm a substitute teacher right now and a security officer, and I see a lot in the schools, and I've spoke on that and pointed some things out, and I can see what what we need to have done and um, have a lot to say on that issue also. All right, Melody Wagner, who is uh, standing in the Republican primary for the 109th State Representative District seat. And thank you so much, Melody, for your time and uh, best wishes as the campaign continues. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Todd, for that work. I appreciate you uh, including me in on this.